So this morning we're talking about God's glory, and uh, as I thought about glory this week, it's really hard to define, but it's pretty easy to see that we're all chasing it in one way, shape, or form. Uh, Glory is something that pulls you in, it sweeps you up, Uh, it's of extreme or supreme greatness to you. So whatever you think is really, really great, whatever you think would be really great if your life looked like that, uh, that's glory. That's, that's what you're calling glorious. And typically, people have tried to describe glory uh, in three different ways. They, they look at the fame aspect of glory, like to be famous or to be known for something. Uh, they look at glory as light. So it, they, they associate glory with light. It's something that's bright, that illuminates, and light is also associated with goodness. So If it's glorious, it's also good. And uh, there's a weightiness about glory. Uh, When I took Hebrew in seminary, the same word for glory could also be translated weighty or to be heavy. And all that really means, it's not your weight when you step on the scale, it's it's significance. It's something that is, is heavy with purpose. So... So I said it's hard to define, but it's easy to see. Just think about your life. What do you want to be known for? And in what way are you defining and pursuing goodness? What's good to you? What's the good life? And what's giving you a sense of significance lately? That's glory. That's the glory you're pursuing. So people can do this through work and their accomplishments at work. They can use relationships and family, friends, as the glory that they want to be known for, that's good, that's what makes my life significant. They can use possessions. We can use possessions. Like, because I have this house or these homes or this car or these fleet of cars or I have this much money in the bank, that can be our glory. We can turn anything into our glory. And all these things are good in their right and proper place, but in pursuit of glory, they lead, to de- they, they lead to dead ends. That road just leads to a dead end. It doesn't take us where we ultimately want to go. So this chapter that we're in, we've been walking through 2 Corinthians, and we're now starting chapter 4. It's been a really powerful uh, chapter in my life. Many different times God has directed my mind to this chapter and encouraged my heart by this chapter. And I talked to a friend this week who had a, a different story, but the same, same thing. This has been a powerful chapter in his life when he was going through a lot of suffering and uh, just really trying circumstances. So I share that just to say that no matter who you are or where you're at and what you're going through, God's glory is really applicable. You, we, we really need it. And it's not just this high and lofty idea, but it's something that hits home when we experience it personally. And that's what God intends, is for us to experience his glory personally. So it's hard to define and talk about and communicate. So I just want to, I have two goals today. I want to talk about what God's glory is, do my best to paint a picture of that. And then I want to talk about your role in this glorious ministry that God has called you to if you're a believer. And if you're here and you haven't committed your life to Christ, if you're not a follower, just look at this Sunday as an invitation of to 
who the Christian God is, what he's like, and what it would mean to follow him. So this is just a, a preview of things to come should you give your life to Christ. This is, this is glory um, as God paints it in his word. So I've wrestled with uh, how to communicate glory. And so I just want to start by, before we look, into, look, look at the text, let's just ask God for his help. <laughs> um, so let's pray together. Father, if you don't show us your glory this morning, um, I can't do it, uh, and none of us can conjure it up. I pray you'd soften our hearts, remove any barriers that we've constructed or that are just there because we're tired or we're hungry or there's something else that's been bugging us. I pray that uh, you would penetrate our hearts and make your glory clear to us so that our lives can make much of you. We exist for you and for your credit, for your fame, to show that you're the significant one that all goodness flows from. So please help us. Amen. So our passage today is 2 Corinthians 4 and the first six verses. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have this ministry by God's mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have rejected things hidden due to shame. We refuse to be sneaky or to change God's message, but by manifestation of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So I've titled this sermon, Our Role in God's Work. And I want to start by the second half of that phrase. Uh, we'll talk about our role last. Let's talk about God's work first. Because this question that we've started with, what is God's glory, that deals directly with what God's work is. God's work primarily is revealing his glory. It's showing us who he is and what that means for us. So if God's work is revealing his glory, that, that's why we're asking the question, what is he showing us? What is God's glory? And I want to answer that question by using Moses as an example. Because if you remember, if you were here last week, we've seen that Paul has used Moses as an example in 2 Corinthians 3. Um, and so I think Paul is actually continuing to allude to Moses in this passage today. So let's just, let's just look at Moses' life real quick. You've probably heard some of this, but I want to just, as a refresher, paint a picture of Moses. Because Moses was a guy who asked God, please show me your glory. And he asked him that uh, in the middle of a prayer <laughs> where Moses is like politely pestering God, really reverently, but he's pestering God. He's asking God for this and this and this. Would you, why not do this, God? That's, that's the tone of his prayer. So Moses is a guy who asked God, please show me your glory. 
And before he did that, he's, this is the same Moses who wrote the first five books of the Bible. This is the same guy who God appeared to and spoke to out of a burning bush. It was a bush that was on fire, but not consumed. Moses experienced God as he had a front row seat to the 10 plagues that God sent, sent on the Egyptians when God delivered his people out of slavery. Moses saw that God parted the Red Sea for his people so that they could walk through on dry ground, be delivered out of Egyptian slavery. And then when the Egyptians pursued, the sea crashed down on them. Moses, in the wilderness, the people were thirsty and they were hungry. And Moses saw God provide bread from heaven and water out of a rock. And then Moses met with God on the mountain and received the law and instructions about how to live in this new land that God was bringing them into. So I share all that to say Moses had an intimate relationship with God. He saw God move in incredible ways. But Moses is still asking God, would you show me your glory? Surprises, surprises me. And he asked that in Exodus 33. And right before he asked it, uh, he, Moses gives us a picture of his intimacy with God again. He says that, or he writes that Moses used to take the tent where they met with God and pitch it outside the camp, far away. This tent of meeting is where they met with God. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to this tent of meeting. And when Moses went to that tent, all the people would rise up and they would watch as Moses went in to the tent. And then when Moses went into the tent, a cloud would come down, a pillar of cloud would come down and block the entrance. And then all the people would rejoice because Moses is meeting with God on their behalf. And uh, verse 11 of Exodus 33 says, in this way, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So the guy who God is speaking to face to face as a man speaks to his friend is asking to see God's glory. And I think that tells us something about God's glory. It's incredible, and it's more than an experience. It's more than being led out of bondage. It's more than meeting with God and having a pillar of cloud envelop the entrance to where you met him. But then God, here's how God answers Moses' request to show him God's glory. God says, yes, partially, but no, in full. I'll show you what I can, but I can't show you everything. And I'm, I'm going to read God's answer. It's also in Exodus 33. He says, I'll make all my goodness pass before you, and I'll proclaim to you my name, the Lord. I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I'll show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, God said, you can't see my face. For man shall not see my face and live. So God is equating seeing his face with Moses' request of seeing his glory. And God's saying, I'll do what I can. I'll show you what I can. But there's part of me, because I'm God and you're not, that you just can't see. So for me, that tells me that God's glory is awesome. It's more than Moses could handle. Even though Moses had all these other incredible experiences, and even though verse 11 said that 
Moses talked to God face to face or the Lord talked to Moses face to face. And then verse 20 said, you can't see my face and live. You, you might, if you're observant, you might be thinking, oh, that sounds like a contradiction. But it's not. Because it doesn't just say the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. That is a phrase that describes the closeness of the relationship. Because after it says face to face, it says as a man speaks to his friend. So that's just describing their relationship. But when it really comes to seeing God's face, when it really comes to seeing the fullness of his glory, God says, no, for your good, I can't do that. It'll consume you. It'll kill you. And you might be wondering, well, God is a God of love, so is this just an Old Testament idea? Uh, Why can't Moses see God the Father's face and live? And I think it's not just an Old Testament idea. I'll show you 1 Timothy 6, where Paul writes that God alone possesses eternal life, life immortal, that he never dies, and he dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. God is still that incredible. And so when we come together, when we, when we meet with God on our own throughout the week, we're meeting with an incredible God, an incredible person, a powerful person. And it made, it just, it made me in awe of God this week as I considered how closely God relates to us, but how for our good, he, he only gives us what we can handle. Like, of him, not just of temptation. We normally think God will only give us what we can handle with temptation, but also of himself, out of his love for us. John 1.18, John 1 is a beautiful passage that talks about Jesus. And it says, no one has ever seen God. So again, this idea in the New Testament, no one's ever seen God the Father, but the one and only Son, Jesus, who is God himself and is in closest relationship with the Father. He's made God known to us. And so we can't see God, but God is making a way for us to see him in a way that we can see his face. And this week, this week I learned, and I think I saw this for the first time, this, this theme of the Bible of seeing God's face, it actually comes to a really beautiful conclusion. The last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, when we're perfected, we're given new bodies, all followers of Jesus will see the Father's face. Revelation 22, 3, no longer will there be anything accursed. Everything will be made right the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in this city and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And so, with all that in mind, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, when Paul writes, God said, let light shine out of darkness and he has shown this light in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge. Knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Not literally seeing Jesus' face, but seeing his face spiritually, knowing him personally, like God knew Moses and Moses knew God. They talked face to face because they had this close, intimate relationship, which is available to all of us. Should you choose to turn 
from yourself, from your sin, and follow Christ with your life. You can know the glory of God when you see the face of Jesus. And again, not see him physically, but see him spiritually. So the short answer is to the question, what is God's glory? The short answer, if, you, if, if we had a test and there is no test, the, the fill in the blank, what is God's glory? The, the God's glory is found in the person of Christ. And that's a beautiful truth. So if I've lost you, um, I apologize, but give me one more chance because I got an illustration to help bring this to life. Uh, imagine life as a puzzle. And if you don't like puzzles, imagine you like puzzles. <laughs> I don't really like puzzles. <laughs> so in a puzzle, you have all these different pieces, right? So if life is like a puzzle, you have all these different parts of your life. You have finances, right? You have work. You have recreation and rest and family and friends. And there's even like politics and news that uh, developments in our world. And then there's ethics, uh, what's right? What's wrong? There, there's lots of pieces to this puzzle that we call life. And some people say, oh, look how good I am with this piece of the puzzle. Or other people will say, look at how well I've managed to fit all of these together. But uh, if you don't have the, the puzzle box, like that top to the box that shows the picture you're building, you're just, I mean... You're just guessing. <laughs> it, it, you're up a creek without a paddle. You're, you're on a dead-end road. And what it means that Jesus is the glory of God is he is the puzzle box top. He's the one that we look to as we navigate this life. We look to him and we say, this life is more than just finances. This life is more than just work. And maybe you've gone down that road where you think, oh, if my relationships were just better, then my life would have meaning. It would have light. I'd, I'd be known for what I want to be known for. I'd have significance. If I just went down that road and perfected that, then you realize, oh, but there's more than just that. It's all about Jesus. He's the, his face <laughs> is the picture on top of the puzzle box of life. All of life is about him. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus today, don't hear me say that Jesus makes it easy. You just got to look at the box and put it all together. You're done. You're good to go. It's easy. It's not easy. I'm just saying that he alone makes a full and an integrated life possible because it's all about him. He's the one who gives us meaning. So if you don't know Jesus, how you come to know him is by refusing to piece together your life the way that you want to, or refusing to say, life is all about work. Life is all about relationships. I choose my life purpose is this. You refuse that way and you say, Jesus, this life is yours. I need your help. I need your forgiveness because I've messed it up. I've tried to piece all these together and they don't fit. And the same way that you come to know Jesus is the same way that you grow in him. You repent of doing life your own way, and you believe, you trust him. So that was part one. That's what God's glory is. It's found in relationship with Jesus, knowing him personally. And you can know Jesus personally, 
as you refuse to live life your own way and trust and walk with Christ and do life his way. And that's a process. None of us are, are ever going to be perfect, but we move in that direction. So now here's the second part. What are we going to do for the rest of our life? <laughs> Once you say, okay, Jesus, I do want to follow you. What should I expect for the rest of my life? Our role in God's work is to show and tell Christ continually. Just like in kindergarten, you have show and tell. It's not just show or just tell. It's show and tell. And it, you keep doing it because life is all about Jesus and it'll continue to be all about Jesus. So here's where I got show and tell. It's not just a cute phrase I made up. It's from the passage. So show, verse 2. Paul says, we have rejected things hidden due to shame. We refuse to be sneaky or change God's message, but by the manifestation of truth, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So the way that we show everyone, hey, this life really is all about Jesus, is we manifest it. And that word literally means to show. We, we live openly and honestly. We say no to things that we're, we're hiding. We don't live in a way that we hide what we're ashamed of. We don't live in a way that we manipulate people. And we don't change God's message in order to win people over to our side. We just show that Jesus is the truth. And we don't, we don't do this perfectly, but when we mess up, we fess up and we move on. So that's the first part of our role is show Christ. And then in verse 5, Paul writes that we should tell people about Christ. He says, we don't preach or proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So the message we send isn't, aren't we great? We figured out what life is all about. We figured out the puzzle box top. Aren't we great? The message is, isn't Jesus great? We are not saying, hey, come join us so that you can be like us, but hey, Follow us as we follow Christ. Let's be like Jesus. And people have to be told about Christ. If you're a good person and you never speak the good news of Christ to them, they'll have no idea what it means that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and what that means for them and why they need to hear that. The gospel is an announcement of what has happened, that Christ died and that he rose. So your actions matter, but the message must be spoken. It's show and tell, not do whatever fits your personality the best. And we have to do it continually. Just like watering a garden once, trusting that the sun shined on it once, and then looking the next day to see if there's any tomatoes or any fruit that's bearing, this is something that we have to cultivate and work over and over on. And Paul says that in verse 1. He says, since we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. Meaning, we don't grow faint. We don't give up. We keep showing and we keep telling until we die. That's, that's the expectation that you should have as a Christian. That's, that's what it means to play your role in God's work. And as you do that, it'll be tempting to give up. You won't really feel the weight of it until you've done it for a while. And then it's like, man, I don't see anything happening. It's tempting to give up. 
And then verses three and four come into play. They're really encouraging because we realize, oh, it's not about our role. This is about God's work. And, and we can't do anything to make the blind man see because Paul writes in verses three and four that the God of this world, the devil, has blinded their minds. So in our showing and telling and keep showing and telling, there's nothing that we can do to change anyone's mind. But as we're faithful, God will change their minds. Not all of them. And, and someone might read this passage and say, well, if God's all-powerful and if he's all-loving, why doesn't he make this good news of his glory in Christ clear to all? And I'd, I'd say we're not entitled to grace. <laughs> the real question is, why would he save any of us? at all? Why would he use us? And Paul's been really clear in the last couple chapters that God's plan is to use his people. Remember chapter 3, he says, not that we're adequate in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our adequacy comes from God. He's made us adequate as ministers of a new covenant. And then he goes on to say that the old covenant came with glory But this new covenant that we're ministering, that God's using us to bring to the world, that comes with more glory. That comes with lasting glory. And we're being changed as we continue to look at Christ, as we behold him. So I made a little model. A model is a way of simplifying things. Um, And so I'll just walk you through how it works. I think this is the picture, as best as I can tell, that Paul is painting Uh, it starts with us beholding God as we worship him, as we see him for who he is. He changes us. And because we're changed, we actually want to do something that we never would have wanted to do (laughs) before, which is serve God and love others. And the way that we serve God and love others is by showing and telling Christ. So we do that to others. And the results aren't up to us. Some people say no, and that's because the devil is blinding them to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And some people say yes. And that's God's work. You can't take, I can't take credit for that. And neither can you. And when they say yes, they worship. They, they, they come into your role, my role. They worship, they're changed, and God uses them to serve others. So our application is found right there. Behold Christ. Look with awe at the one who life is all about. Spend time worshiping him. And a great way to do that is in, in and through the scriptures because they all point to him. And I'm not saying that the Bible's an easy book. It's not. But it's worth the investment. And over time, God will change you. And don't be afraid of that change. Don't expect to worship and then walk away the same person. Press into the change, even when you feel really weak at what God is asking you to do and the changes that he's asking you to make. We all need to be changed. And at the core of following Jesus, it's it's a changed life. It's a transformed life. As we continue to turn away from sin and trust him with our lives. And then just start showing and telling. If you've accepted Christ, you have a story to tell. So show and tell Christ and keep doing it. 
That's one reason we have small groups is so we can keep doing that to each other because we all need that. And even though if you're a follower of Jesus, you're probably looking at the me, you're also a yes. You're also a yes. God has done a work in your life. So keep beholding, keep showing and telling Christ and encourage other people who are in your life who are being changed. When you see someone who's pursuing God, when you see God changing them, tell them. They're probably the last ones to see it. And when you adopt this mindset that all of your life is God's ministry in you and through you, this passage, 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6, I think it becomes a sort of charge. Therefore, since we have this ministry, since my whole life is by God's mercy, his ministry in and through me. We don't lose heart. We keep going. We, we reject things that are hidden due to shame. We live open and honest lives. We don't be sneaky. We don't change God's message. What we do is we show Christ. We commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if they don't see the good news for good as it is, it's veiled to those who are perishing. That's not your responsibility. I'm not saying you can't feel deeply for that, but it's not your responsibility. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. We don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And that's the good news is that Christ is glorious. There's no one as great as him. There's no one worth being known for and with and finding significance from and your goodness from as Jesus. He's the glorious one who paid for our shame on the cross so we don't have to hide it. He's the glorious one who changes us and because Jesus is alive, we have the power to play our role and be a part of God's work. Let's pray together. God, we take this time to behold you now. Your glory is above and beyond us, but you've made it known to us in Jesus. So would you continue changing us? Would you reveal any sin, anything that we've been seeking and chasing after uh, as a glory above, above you that we've misprioritized? An idol, God. As we continue worshiping, take this time to commit to being God's man, God's woman, and commit to making yourself available for him to make his glory known in you and through you.